you know, creating content is actually pretty challenging. I'm not going to lie. Um, it's, it's been hard to sort of juggle everything else that we have going on and then coordinate our schedules uh, to make sure that we can keep uh, producing content at a high level. Uh, so whenever we do get a chance to sit down and, and chop it up, I do want to make sure it's meaningful. So over the summer, I had a chance to speak on a panel that was geared towards teaching high school students about um, opportunities in commercial real estate. And that's actually where I met our next guest. Jade I. Hendricks is the Assistant Vice President of Investor Operations at a private equity firm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. She is also a financial blogger, the host of the Corporate Creative Podcast, and a certified financial education instructor. While her day job focuses on managing operations and communications, by night she is using her platforms to educate and empower black and brown students and professionals. Jade's overall mission is to surround herself with people who reflect the way she wants to see the world. Diverse, engaging, and evolving. Welcome, Jade. I think the, the best way to get going really is just for you to uh, int introduce yourself and uh, tell us a little bit about uh, your background. All right. So my name is Jade I. Hendricks. I do include the I on everything. That's my my signature. But um, I am a Milwaukee native. I grew up here um, kind of. I don't really know. I, I've heard y'all do the zip code thing before, but mm -hmm. I feel like I moved a lot <laughs> from elementary to high school. Mm -hmm. um, I know the last area I lived in when I went to uh, in high school was in on Long Island. So that was probably the most recent before I went away for undergrad. But I went to Mesmer High School. Um, after undergrad, I went to Fisk University and then spent some time in Chicago, made my way back to Milwaukee. We can kind of get into all of that. But um, I am just a lover of all things finance, fitness, food, whatever. So that's essentially what I've built my platform around. Um, my background is in wealth management and business administration. I got my degree in business and Spanish. Um, and so, yeah, I love kind of connecting the dots, figuring out where I can fill in the gaps. And um, I've been able to do a lot in the community that way, which is really important to me. Let's uh let's take one step back. Just like what elementary school did you go to? What middle school? I'm just curious, right? Because yeah, I'm just trying to figure out how we never crossed paths. That's really what I'm trying to figure out. It's crazy because I feel like moving back to Milwaukee, everybody's like, "Are you sure are you from here?" I like I don't know. Maybe I'm just I don't know. I'd be low key, but um, I went to Lee Street Elementary. I think I went there. I transferred from Browning to Lee Street. Mm. Went there through elementary school. Um, I guess backtrack before then, I kind of went to school in Texas. I went to school in California because my family moved quite a bit. Mm. Um, so about second or third grade is when I kind of remember going to school in Milwaukee. Um, so Browning to Lee Street. Then I went to Samuel Morris for the Gifted and Talented because it's different these days. Um, and then Morris. I went to... <laughs> it's see that's what I'm, I feel like everybody started at Morris and everybody knows Morris culture so mm -hmm. shout out to that era um, and then I went to Mesmer so bro I think it's in part because we're old bro yeah <laughs> yeah that's true that's true it's <laughs> probably a big factor in it because <laughs> you were you were what, 2011 you said yeah from uh from high school yeah high school okay yeah yeah see we were I was Tom, gra Tom graduated college in 2011 <laughs> yeah I did I did. <laughs> So I was I was up and out. Yeah. In doing research on you, um, on one of the podcasts you mentioned that uh, you received over six hundred thousand dollars in in you know scholarships to go to college. Just I guess t talk about that grind of, of uh, applying for grants and scholarships, and then ultimately deciding uh, on where to go to college. Uh, just talk about that a little bit. 
Yeah, that's kind of, it's funny because when people ask about my journey, I always just start at my high school phase and like how I got to where I am today. Um, but college, college was something that I didn't want to do, which is crazy. Like when I think back on, I was a 4.3 student athlete, National Honor Society, artist, all these other things. And I just was like, I don't want to go. Um, my junior year of high school, I think this is the first time I ever told this particular part of the story, but my junior year of high school, my family and I got evicted from the house I lived in on North Island. And I think that was kind of the first time when I realized that um, life might just be a little different, if that makes sense. Um, and not that my mom, you know, couldn't take care of us or anything like that. I think there was just a lot of other dynamics going on that led to that. Um, and so I think one, that was my first kind of peek into financial you know, my financial situation. Um, but also it made me kind of become a little more realistic. You know, when you go to school, you get to high school, you're like, yeah, college and woo, and just this big like concept. And then the practicality of how to get to college, how to pay for college, just isn't it was never really a big conversation. Um, even at Mesmer, which had the you know college and career center, and I had a guidance counselor that was super supportive and helpful. Um, but I guess long story short. Once I decided, so junior year that happened, I was like, yep, I'm not going to college, not going to do it. I'll just, you know, be a, um, I was good at hair and nails. So I was like, I'll just start my own business, get my own shop, do that thing. Uh, so um, senior year, they make us do a senior exit paper. So I ended up writing my paper on the value of a college degree. So in my research, I started, I'm like a nerd with stats. So if I ever come out <laughs> with some stats in this episode, I'm just giving you a preface, but just started reading like the research of how, you, how people can get to college, what college entails, what the experience is like. And I realized that it was more than just the education, right? As a as a 4.3 student, I'm like, well, I can, I'm fine with grades. Like, I'm not really worried about that part. I can figure it out on my own. I'm smart enough to figure this out on my own. Um, but once I realized that I could expand my mind bigger than just Milwaukee, because this is where I'm from. This is all I knew, the north side of Milwaukee, just, you know, that specific kind of radius. Um, I just got super ambitious and was like, yep, well, if I go to college, I'm not staying in Milwaukee. That was criteria number one. And I am not paying for it. That was criteria number two. Um, and so I spent my entire senior year just like knocking out scholarships. I mean, ap every application I could find, think of, um, nonprofits I could get connected to, I just applied. So I think I got accepted into um, well, and I applied for, at the same time, I was applying for schools too. So I think I got accepted into like 25 different colleges. And then that's how the numbers added up because they would give me um, awards that way. Um, but Fisk ended up giving me a full tuition scholarship. And then I got some um, additional outside scholarships that kind of paid for the gap. So, yeah. Yo, just to, just to step back a bit, um, you, you spoke about like how, you know, being evicted was like one of the big moments in your life that you realized things were different. I too, unfortunately was evicted. And it was like the first time where like, I realized like things, like we actually were poor and things were different. And what was your thought process during that time? Like, how were you able to use that as an example to say, hey, like I need to do better. I need to, I need to figure out something for my family. How did you turn that in that negative into a positive essentially? You know, that's a really good question because I, I don't think I consciously thought of it that way. It was just like, I know I don't want to experience this again. You yeah. know, um, my I think my very first money memory was like getting my first job and not really understanding what to do with it. So I, I just spent it every check I got, that kind of thing. And so then my my next big marker, I guess, in my money journey <laughs> was was that. And so I think for me, it was more of I'm the oldest of, of three. I have two younger brothers. I always tried to be as independent as possible. And so when I just when I made the decision 
to go to school. It was like, well, this is your decision, Jay. Like you can't depend on, not that I couldn't, my mom would have done whatever she needed to do, but it was like, you cannot use this as a factor. Do not be an extra burden on your mom. Do not leave her with having to figure out this for you and while she's still taking care of your younger brother. So I think it was more of like a, if I'm going to do this, it's on me. And I know that this experience will at least allow me to see something different. Um, and so I kind of just let that be the fuel to the fire. And I just, like I said, I grinded it out. That's not, a, it's, it's no joke. I tell my little cousins all the time. I'm like, they're like, oh, I'm busy and I have a job. And I'm like, I did it all. I was dating. I had a job. I did sports. I, you know, I was like all the things I'm like, if you want it, you'll, you'll spend the time on it. And so, um, that's kind of my message even now that I work with when I work with youth is like, you'll spend, if you spend the time on it, it doesn't take, you don't need to spend 24 hours, seven days a week, but an hour a day, you know, every day seven hours a week is, is all you really need to kind of just get the, get the, get the ball rolling. No, I think that, I think that's a very powerful uh, thing to, uh, I guess, change into a positive, right? Like you, I mean, like I said, when you're going through it, you could, you could go next, like you could go another route, right? Like yeah. there are a bunch of different routes that you could go, especially growing up where we come from. Um, I just think it's very powerful to, to look at that moment and just be like, nah, like, I have to, I got to get it. And then, and then that fear of going back to that situation mm -hmm. is what probably still drives you. Right. I would have been. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And I, I do want to say like, I didn't just do this on my own. You know, I had a great support system and it's kind of interesting because I, I don't, I've never looked at my experience. Like I grew up poor. Um, sure. I had, I, obviously my mom raised us. Um, she was a single mom taking care of, she worked really well. And I just think, you know, sometimes life happens and it's crazy. Just like, it's part of my story, but it's not who I am and it's not who what made us. Mm -hmm. um, but it is something that helps kind of like fuel, you know, fuel that motivation to keep going. And to your point about fear, um, and we'll, I'm sure we'll get a chance to talk about this, but I, I do teach financial literacy. And so one of the first things or workshops I ever have is about mindset, because how we look at money or the things that we've experienced in the past about money uh, trickle over into how we actually interact with money in our present day. Um, and so that was a big piece that I had to overcome as I started making more money, realizing that I wasn't, you know, living my previous experience. Um, how can I make sure that I'm, I won't put myself in a situation to be, to be, to be in what I experienced in the past? Yeah, I think, um, you know, one thing I was actually going to ask you later is uh, like your stuff, the work that you do with the students. Um, and you, you said in one of the articles I read that, you know, it's important to let people know that you're invested in them or let the students know that you're invested yeah. in them. Um, and I guess I'm, I'm assuming, and correct me if I'm wrong, that you got that same kind of investment from your support system at home, like your, your mother or whoever. Could you just talk about your, your support system, I guess, and why yeah. it's important? Yeah, I think, um, I feel like I had the best support system, which is crazy because when I'm like, I didn't want to go to college in my mind, I'm like, what were like 18 year old Jay, what were you thinking? Um, but I, I mean, I had, obviously my family, we're a super close knit. Um, so that was never an issue. My grandparents on my dad's side, they live in LA, but they were always, you know, making sure I was good, coming to visit. They made every graduation, you know, all the things. And then my Mesmer, I'm so grateful for my experience at Mesmer. I didn't want to go to Mesmer. My mom made me put that out there, but it was the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Um, I had a guidance, they give us a guidance counselor. I'm sure you guys know that, you know, from ninth to 12th grade. So I had the same one and he was like the kind of person that cut me no slack. Even if I was like down and out, I was like, I'm not doing this. He's like, you're crazy. I applied to every school outside of Milwaukee. And he's like, well, just have a backup plan. But he kind of just made sure that I was like on, on par with everything. 
um, which was super helpful. And then, of course, I had great friends and all of that. But I do think having a strong support system definitely kept me grounded, if that makes sense. Like even in some of the worst times, um, even when we when we lost our house, we ended up moving in um, with my aunt and my uncle, um, not too far from where we moved for, or not too far from Mesmer. But my best friend at the time, I stayed with her for like the first month of school. This was like right before junior year started. So I stayed with her right before, you know, stayed with her for like a month. I wore her uniform. Like, thank God I was in the uniform school. I wore, she let me borrow pants, a couple of polos, you know. So it was like, it's, I don't know. It's just crazy that I'm talking to you guys about this because I'm like really reflecting like, wow, that was a, it was a definitely a time where, um, I don't know, it, it definitely shaped how I view the world. And and it also, I think it helps me relate, right? Because obviously yeah. I'm, not, I'm not the wealthiest person, but now I, I can do with what I have. Um, and then looking at a time where I didn't have, so I'm never neglecting the socioeconomic factors or, you know, all the, the, um, just all the, the political things that happen that impact the black and brown communities. Like I, I bring all of that into how I teach and I think it makes me relatable, but it also lets people know that I'm just not some rich kid, you know, come in and try to tell you how to do with money. Like I'm trying to tell you, I'm learning with you as I'm teaching. So, um, I think it definitely helps that way. I mean, we saw that even at that uh, MKECRE panel that we did. I felt that the kids, initially, it was trying to fill us out, right, to see, like, okay, who, who is Larry? Who is Jade? And then um, after probably five to ten minutes, I think they realized, like, oh, okay, like, they come from probably a similar circumstance or, or a relatable circumstance, and they have a perspective that um, I'm, I'm now willing to listen. I could, I could almost see the body language change in the room to where they were like, yeah. Oh, okay. No, this is actually pretty cool. You know. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's crazy. I think I think that people neglect like kids or kids or young people are just a previous version of ourselves. And so if mm -hmm. we try to come to this situation like, oh, I'm just I made it and I know more than you do, you miss the opportunity con to connect because I do think that um, mentorship or teaching is two ways, right? I, there's things I learn from the students I work with all the time. And I'm like, I'm gonna use that in my next session. I'm gonna yeah. use that example there. So I, I do think that we we can't neglect because they're just, like I said, they're just previous versions of who we, you know, of, mm -hmm. of ourselves, so. I, I definitely don't want to skip over the fact that you went to an HBCU. Um, Absolutely. So can you talk <laughs> just about your time at Fisk? Um, uh, personally, like personally, me, I'm gonna speak for myself. I'm definitely jealous just because uh, going to a PWI, I, I think we realized that it was definitely not for us. And we spent so much time trying to make them feel comfortable. And um, that obviously wasn't the right approach. You know what I mean? So, yeah. Let's see. I don't know. HBCU experience is just unmatched. Like there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing, nothing like it. Um, obviously, you know, what social shows you, what you can see on TV is, is fine and dandy. But I think for me, one, it was it was less of a culture shift because Mesmer is predominantly black and brown. You know what I mean? So even though my teachers were uh, mostly white, like the students were black and brown and it, it's and Fisk is such a small school. So there was a lot of parallels between my high school experience and my college experience. But I think cultivating me as a black woman is what I will like is the part that I always like hone in on because I think that if hadn't, if I hadn't had that before I got into corporate, I would not, have survived like quite literally I think I would have I would have shrunk and I think having you know black professors and black faculty and you're connected with other black professionals um because Fisk is like it's like a little triangle Fisk TSU and then Vandy has like a BSU so we would inter in engage with them too 
Um, but just kind of being surrounded by Black ex excellence in its truest sense, it was super empowering. And I think coming from inner city, you know, inner city kid from Milwaukee, and then you're seeing like Black doctors, we were right across the street from Meharry, which is, you know, it's a it's historically Black school uh, college as well. Um, like a lot of the medical students went across the street to pursue their, finish their medical degree. So it was like, you're just surrounded by excellence in that's catered towards you. Our hist my history classes were about black history. It wasn't, you know, it wasn't wow. the, you know, pilgrims coming over here. It was like 1842. <laughs> let's let's start, let's go back a little bit further so you can really understand how all this happened. Um, so I think it was just, it helped me understand myself differently because that was an, an experience you get in, you know, your K through 12 experience. I never, there was half the things that I've I learned about an undergrad as it relates to black history. I never even knew, you know, people, names that I never, like of these individuals, I never knew existed or lived or contributed to American society. Um, so it really shaped who I feel like I, I wanted to be. And obviously it planted a lot of seeds for the person that I was becoming, but um, it's definitely a match. I tell people, give it a try. Like if you're interested, do it. Obviously, you know, logistically it's expensive. Sometimes they used to be a little shady when it comes to financial aid, <laughs> all those things. But uh, no, I'm serious because I, I almost came back twice. Fisk almost lost accreditation two times my freshman, my sophomore year. And that was scary. You know, it's like I could potentially graduate without a college, like a valid college degree. And I'm spending a hundred over a hundred thousand dollars for this experience. Um, but I will and thank God they figured it out. But um, I do think that there's just so much value in it, um, especially for a black person or a person of color to be able to see people that look like you in the spaces that you want to get into. Um, and if nothing else, it gives you the confidence for moving into spaces that are predominantly not not black. Yeah, it's funny. I actually found that article where they interviewed you your freshman year and they were <laughs> like, and they were like, uh, you know, how do you feel, Jade? Like, you know, this the school <laughs> might lose accreditation or they're losing funding. Um, and I would imagine, right, coming out of Milwaukee, going through what you've gone through, right, then you finally get to college and they're like your freshman year, they're like, oh, yeah, we might we might lose accreditation. Like, to walk us through, like, what was going on through your mind. And, and keep in mind, she could have went anywhere. Like, yeah, anywhere. So, so, so bands too. You know, like, <laughs> Man, it was scary. I mean, that's, that's really the easiest. That's the only thing I can say, because, it, again, like you said, I moved to a city that I had no family, no relative, no friends, no anything. Mm -hmm. um, and again, coming from my little radius, right, north side of Milwaukee, like this is crazy. I'm taking a leap of faith. I, you know, I did everything I feel like I could do. But at that point, the power is out of my hands, the control is out of my hands. So there's nothing I could do but really either make a decision to transfer back home somewhere or stick it out and see what happens. Um, and I, I mean, thankfully it worked out in my favor and Fisk still has accreditation to date, but if, I mean, it, all I can say was it was scary because, but it was just like, I, I didn't come this far to just give up. Yeah. Um, and thankfully, you know, they, they were able, like I said, freshman year, they, they were able to figure it out and get some probation, an extended period of time. And then sophomore year, we dealt with it again. But once we got that together, it was fine. One thing that you spoke about was identity. And could you talk about just how important identity uh, you know, is now, you know, as you were at Fisk, like how, how much that meant to you when you go into these rooms now, like how much it was important to like kind of mold you during that time? Yeah. Um, I think, like I said, it planted, it definitely planted seeds. Um, there was like another stint once I graduated undergrad and I moved to another city again where no, you know, nobody is. I moved to Chicago, uh, worked for a Fortune 500 company. 
And I was, again, I was the youngest. I was the only black girl, you know? So it was just like, okay, this is great. Fitz taught me a lot, like, woo, global, you know, black power, <laughs> whatever. And then it's like, okay, now here you go. Everybody's looking at you again. You know, I wear my hair in a puff. Everybody wants to touch it. Like, it was like, okay, so how do we yeah. navigate this experience? Um, but I do think, again, having those seeds planted where it's like, I know how to have educated conversations. I know that I'm good at what I do. I've had these internship experiences that have prepared me for the work that I was hired to do. And the fact that they hired me. So it's like, I, I got to be halfway decent at you know, telling my story, you know, getting in front of people and just being confident in who I am. And I think over time, I think time really is like the teller of all things, right? Like mm -hmm. I'm a, I'm going to be put to the test. Am I really confident or was I just feeling myself because I was surrounded by people who were cheering me on um, back in Nashville? Um, and so I think really just having the seeds planted, but then also kind of exercising that skill. I do think confidence is something that you build over time versus something you're just born with. That's, you know, that's, not, I mean, that's, that's how I look at it at least. Um, and so I think just having being forced to kind of recultivate that skill in a different space um, gives me gives you more confidence over time. So then I, you know, I got a new position or I got promoted or whatever the case may be. Um, it helps you be a little more confident in those spaces. Let's uh, talk a little bit about your, your current role. Uh, just tell us exactly what, what you got going on. Sure. Um, so I currently am assistant vice president of investor operations at uh, at a private equity firm uh, in the real estate industry. Um, essentially what we do is we uh, pull investors money to put it in private real estate funds across the country. So we, we invest in about 15 to 25 states. Um, and my particular role, I manage all the operations and workflows from the investor side of things. So if you've heard of like investor relations, um, operations is like a, just a, a vertical of that. We built that business line and launched it in July. So um, I kind of lead all of that, the communications, and then I serve on the marketing side of, as well, doing some social content and strategy with uh, our marketing manager. I want to I want to pivot a bit. Um, I guess I'm wondering uh, what, what is your current relationship with money and what uh, lessons have you learned along the way um, as you started making more money? That's a good question. My current relationship with money is evolving. Which is crazy because it's like it's so funny because people will my friends will call me like I had a friend who called me the other day. She's like, can I pull money out of my 403B? What do I have to do? I'm like. Okay, have you looked at the have you thought about the penalties? It's like I'm just and it's, I'm like spitting off all this information, but then I'm also like, do I need to roll over my 401k for my previous employer? So make sure I'm maximizing my like all these mm -hmm. things, right? So I'm just that's how my life is. So I think it's evolving. Um at this point in my life, I'm making the most money that I ever have in, in life in general. So then it's like, okay, well, do I want to invest a certain way? Do I want to try a different strategy? Do I should I get you know, a financial advisor? Should I start working with the CPA? So I think it's more of that conversation these days of how can I set myself up to be in an even better position? Um, and then what what is that? What do those steps look like? What I learned from working with people with money is that they have the same problems that people with no money have, except for they have people that they can pay to to help them navigate it. <laughs> Makes sense. That's what got me passionate about teaching financial literacy. I remember being um, back, I worked for Morgan Stanley in the wealth management capacity. So I remember being in a client meeting and we're trying to explain to this young man, I think we were probably about the same age at the time, explain to the son of a, of a client, like, this is how this works. Here's online banking. Let's talk about this. Let's talk about budgets. And he's like, well, my family has an accountant. <laughs> and if I need more money, like he had a job just because <laughs> he wanted something to do, not that he actually needed the income. And that was like, that was literally the moment when I was like, yeah, this work is not for me. Like this, there's no way 
you could care less. You know, you could care less about anything I have to tell you today. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to say that there isn't value in that. I just knew that I ha- there was something that I was learning in that moment at 22, 23, 24 years old. And I'm like, I need to take this back to, to the city. I need to take this yeah. back to my family. I need to take this back to the kids that looked like me, you know, seven years ago. And, you know, when I got my first credit card and just maxed it out because I didn't know any better. Like, I need to take this back. Um, but I do think that um, I've also learned that the things that we've considered negative, like debt or, you know, trying, you know, trying different strategies or taking more risk are things that are taboo in our community that are like almost like necessary for people who want to make more money. And if you understand that concept, you understand compound interest over time and you understand all these things, right? Like even just the very small nuggets that I work with when I would teach high school students is like, you can touch a million dollars in the next 40 years if you wanted to. You can you can touch it sooner if you want to take a little more risk, mm-hmm. as long as you don't touch it, though, right? As long as you don't touch it in the meantime. Um, and so helping people understand, like, it doesn't take this. You don't have to have a lot of money to make a decent amount of money. You don't have to do these, you know, and this is not a, like a shade to like Bitcoin or NFTs or like all these complicated <laughs> alternatives. But it's like you don't have to be a complex investor to have a decent return on your investment. Like you mm-hmm. can do the most basic, most simple, most templated strategies and still make a decent living for retirement or even before then, um, as long as you know kind of what your goals are and, and how you can kind of leverage your money that way. Thanks. One thing, one thing that I'm curious about of the research I found on you is that you are very committed to serving. And I guess, why do you think finance is important to black and brown communities in particular? Ooh, that's a loaded. Yeah, I know, <laughs> that's a loaded I know. question. I know. Um, only twenty-three of the fifty states require financial literacy. Even if other states offer it, they don't require it as a graduation, like for for graduation. So that's one. The U.S. is like four, like fourteenth in financial literacy, but we're one of the wealthiest countries. We're also, but we're fourth in debt per capita, which is like. We don't have the literacy, we have the money, but people don't know how to use it properly, right? And then 58% of Americans live paycheck to paycheck. And if you think the average, I think the average household has like $60,000 a year, which is not like low, but it's also, I mean, it's not hot, super high, but it's also not like low, you know? So I think like understanding how the, like the fact that that resource is unlimited for, for the most part, because we can, we can print money, even though that's not the best thing to do, I'm not saying that, but resources is, uh, unlimited for the most part, but we're lacking in knowledge on how to manage it. And the fact that we all need money to survive, even for the basic necessities, like that's a problem. And so then we, right, I tell you about the country, I tell you about the like globally, all this stuff, but then you drill down to your black and brown communities. And if we look at like a white versus black household, white household have the wealth of 7.8 times a black household. So it's like, we, we're not even just, we're not even just like getting by, like we're barely making it. And so obviously, education is only like a very small part of the problem, um, which is like a whole nother passion that I'm cultivating. And like, how do we move the needle that way? Um, But I think the reality to get to your question is, there's a huge gap in general on what we know and how we can put it into practice. And then when you drill down into the communities that look like like us, right, you look, look at our communities, we're lacking even further. We're spending the money. We're spending money before the money that we don't even have. We're going into debt to look like we have, but we don't, you know. And so it's just like this. This is bigger than just you know. Oh, say five dollars a month. However, at the same time, if you have the resource to do it, let me show you how. And to like destigmatize a lot of things that we've been taught growing up. We're like, 
don't trust banks or, um, you know, don't go into any debt because debt is just all the way bad. Like, that's not that's not how we're going to create wealth. It's not how we're going to sustain wealth. And so we can just plant the seeds. Um, that's kind of what I feel like my life's purpose is at this point. And then, like, again, all those other factors that play into, you know, why black people can't black and brown people can't get ahead. We can solve that. We can solve that, too. And that, that might be life mission part two. <laughs> Even when you talk about um, how many families actually have five hundred dollars in savings and, and yeah. things like that, like. I guess, you know, as someone that sits at the intersection of finance and real estate, I guess I'm curious to know what are your thoughts on how we can uh, sort of help work to close the racial wealth gap? My, my question was loaded. My question. Yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. This, this is also a loaded question. I know that's what I'm saying. I think the I think the easiest way or the quickest way to say this is like we obviously we know real estate is one of the quickest ways to build wealth, right? Like the top I forgot whatever another stat, but like the top one percent of people have like ninety ninety percent of their wealth comes from real estate. You know whether they're like a direct investor and they hold assets or they're investing in um, funds that have real estate and you know that are based in real estate. Um, and so I think, it, and it's just, it, this is a hard question because it's like, then you think about redlining, you think about like the history of how we even got mm -hmm. to where we are today, where we had black, like we had a black economy that was literally destroyed, physically destroyed. Um, and it's hard to rebuild, right? It's just, it's just one of those things you think about the wealth gap between black women and a white woman and how long it would take for us to re reach parity with, you know, it's like, is it possible? I don't know. <laughs> like that's one of those. Find out on the next episode. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I, I um I do think what we need to like where it starts is just educating people on the opportunities that exist. Um, I also I'm hesitant to say that be also because I I do know there are a lot of programs out here which I think are amazing, but they're like how to get you to own your your first home, and it's like I that's great. But if you're not dealing with the like your current situation, you could be putting yourself in a worse position. Mm -hmm. And so it's like trying to find that balance of how can we help you get stable, financially stable, even if it's just what, what you currently are making, what you currently have, without putting you into more trouble. I think the starting point is helping people identify their goals so that way they can create a plan to deal with what they currently have so they, that, they, that they can get to where they want to be. Because telling people to buy a house is just not the right advice. Telling people, oh, real estate is the way is, is great. But it's like, yeah, but if you're swimming in debt and you're making $15 an hour, it doesn't make sense for you to go get a home loan right now. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it doesn't. It, it will never make sense for you to have to do that. There's no, there's nothing for you to leverage at that point. If we talk about using debt the right way, there's nothing for you to leverage. So um, I think it's just, the biggest thing for me is like really being realistic about people's situation and then recognizing the factors that impact that situation and then help, helping people build the steps from there versus like giving this blanket advice that everybody thinks that they should follow, um, which is, you know, we see, we saw that during 2020 when like, oh, do this and that's here and go there and do this. Yeah. And I'm like, all right now. <laughs> <laughs> One of the things that you mentioned was just, you know, the, the disparities in pay between uh, black professionals and white professionals, and if we'll ever catch up. And as you're talking, like it, it, I was sitting there, and I'm just like, a lot of white people always ask me, like, how can I help you? How can I be an ally? Um, and things like that. And I'm like, one way is you could tell me how much you make. 
You know, like, like, like I think I think uh, salary transparency is something that um, people shy away from. But I think it's something that uh, is an immediate sort of thing that one we could do amongst ourselves as black and brown professionals. But two, I think um, to any allies that are listening, I think you can you can also help us in that way. What's your reaction when I say that? I I love it. My I always say talk about money talk about it. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. that's just not something we do. And I say, talk about it. I talk to my mom about what she has going on. She's on sabbatical right now, which is just an extended period of time off. So she's looking at potentially retiring. So I'm like, well, let's figure out what, what you have like already invested and saved. Is this realistic? What else do you need? Like, cause, cause how else will you, will you know? And if we don't have access or we don't engage with professionals who do this, then we're, we're behind the bar. That's another, like, piece that we're lacking in we don't even have the conversation so we don't know where we're lacking and so I just I just I'm for it have the conversations it is weird it can be weird when you're talking to your peers but it's like I have a friend we talk all the time he's like he lives in Chicago he's in tech right now I'm he's telling me how much he's been offered here and there and everywhere so um he's like you want to come back to Chicago so I who knows but I do think it it definitely helps it helps us have better conversations. It helps us go into conversations more informed. Um, and then back to my point about confidence earlier, it's, just, it's something that will give us more confidence knowing that like, yeah, we could actually ask for much for me to ask for an extra 15% on my salary or for some sort of end of year bonus or for, you know, be- extra benefits. You know, like I had, I have a podcast episode about compensation conversations, but Cause that's the thing. Like, you don't, maybe it's not the base salary, but maybe you can get extra paid out time off or additional benefits or stock plan benefit, like whatever. Right. So, but if we, but if you don't have those conversations with people that are doing this, it, you just don't know. And so you miss, you miss the opportunity to maximize um, on just different, different things in general. Yeah. And you don't know what to ask. Right. A lot of times. Yeah. True. You know, you're just true. sitting there like, Oh, I want more money. <laughs> Oh, right. How do you go by that conversation? What does uh? I was reading one of your blog posts on uh twenty something in black, uh, probably from years ago or something. Um, and it, it, it found everything. And you, <laughs> and, hey, it's great. It's great. It's yeah, great. No, it's, yeah. And you talked about uh, like this concept of uh, financial self care. I guess w- how would you define that? And then what does that look like, like, in like now in our lives as as like early to mid career professionals? Um, what are some healthy habits that people should be uh, doing, right? Because the, the, the financial uh, acumen has to increase as the money increases. You know what I mean? So, For sure. For sure. These are some really good questions, guys. Like, I'm like, wow. Because um, I forgot I wrote that piece. So I'm going to give you my, my answer that I give all the students when they ask me questions like this. And the answer is it depends. Um, it depends on who you are, what I your said, goals are, everything. everything. <laughs> We're lawyers. It, it, it always depends. It always depends. It, it does. And, and when it comes to money, it really depends. And I, so I'm going to start there because, like I mentioned, I do not do blanket advice, whatever the case may be. Um, and so financial self-care, if anybody hasn't read it, is really just about um, taking care of your finances the same way that you would take care of yourself. Um, and, or using your finances in order to enhance your self-care in whatever capacity that looks like. Um, so if your goal is to cut down on debt, financial self-care might be to, you know, turn off your, not 
cancel your credit card, turn off your credit card um, and, you know, work on work on a plan to help pay that down. Or maybe it's I want to do something really nice for myself once a year. So then having a separate account set up that you're transferring money on a regular basis to have, you know, to have funds, like just funds specific to that thing. Um, it could be for something smaller throughout. Maybe, you know, you want to buy coffee daily and you just set up an, again, set up something on the side where you have coffee funds, right? So it's really about figuring out what your goals are and how your finances can help you meet those goals, whether it's a huge, like, uh, a, you know, buy a house kind of kind of thing, or if it's, I want to be able to take myself to dinner on Fridays. Um, and so, and making sure that it's, it's realistic. So my advice is always going to be set a goal, make sure it's realistic. And then how can you, how can you make your money or set up your money situation to match that goal or meet that goal? Uh, one thing, one thing you talked about, I think in a YouTube clip or something, was that uh, Man, you we, talked we, about, we did a we did a yeah. whole scorched earth review, huh? <laughs> no, I mean, because I, I think I think it's different. It's different when like like I said, this is my first time meeting you, so like I kind of wanted to like ask some questions that are just general, but also like actually put some respect on your name and like look up things, mm-hmm. right? Uh, but like one thing you talked about was diversification, right, and why it's important. And I guess I just wanted you to talk about, if you can, just like why diversification in your portfolio, whether it be stock, real estate, I mean, your any of your investments, why that's important. Okay. Y'all putting me in teacher mode now. So um, <laughs> diversification basically is putting your assets, whatever that is, in different baskets in case something goes awry, right? So diversification in finance or if the financial world or your money picture is important because if something goes wrong, you have money put aside in other places to help you navigate that difficult time. So we think about COVID, right? Let's just use that for an example. Um, If all of your money was invested in stocks, you lost a lot of money. (laughs) You lost a lot of money. Um, But let's say, let's say diversification for simple terms, people don't think they have to go invest in all these other things. Diversification could be as simple as I have money in the stock market. I have money in my savings account. That's two different places doing two different things when things go bad, right? Obviously, with inflation, you are making a little more money, but you're not getting as high of a return as you would in the stock market. But when your stock drops, you have liquid assets available to you. You have dollars available to you that you can use to, to take care of your necessities when the world shuts down and, you know, some people lost jobs, whatever the case may be. More sophisticated, you know, in a more sophisticated picture, you'd have your money in different assets. So you'd have some stocks, you'd have bonds, you'd have maybe a real estate fund of some sort or private real estate, which those two are different. Uh, you might have alternatives. You might have money in a 401k. You might have money in a brokerage account. Like it could really be anything. Um, my, another example is I have a 401k and I have a Roth IRA. So those two are doing two different things. So in retirement, I can pull from either account but they're doing two different things based on my financial situation at that point in time. So there's a lot of ways you can do it, but the point really is to have your money kind of split up. So that way you can kind of work through any market cycle. You know what I mean? And I mean, even at the simplest terms, you could do like an ETF or a mutual fund, right? Like, and yeah. you are you automatically diversified. So I, I don't want to keep putting that stuff out there. So people can like, people can know that it is really accessible to do things like this without like getting all into the granulars. And of course, sometimes you have better returns that way when people can do the mi- the asset allocation or the mix for you. But if you didn't know anything else, you could research a couple ETFs that that fit for what you what you're trying to accomplish and get diversified fairly quickly that way. No, I, I just think what you're saying is, is spot on, because I mean, so often I've got cousins or, or relatives or whatever that think they have to go 
invest in a truck. You start a trucking business or, mm-hmm. or, or start a hair salon or whatever the case may be. And I'm like, sometimes it's literally just taking your paycheck and putting it into a, an index fund. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, like, mm-hmm. so, so what you're saying, I think is spot on. But I, I think that's, that's why we started this podcast. And I think that's why you started your podcast in part because it's the sell on like the long-term money, right? Like all of the things like the trucking, every, every time I hear about it, a lot of times people are just looking for the quick rich schemes or like the, the way yeah. to get the fast money, not knowing like, yo, if you invest in, you know, this, uh, this mutual fund five years ago, like you could have doubled your money or I don't know the rates, but like, you know, I, I think people don't think about it like that. Cause I mean, a lot of times we're, in, we're, in, you know, bad situations where it's hard to, you know, think about like, oh, I could put all this money into an investment fund, but my lights are off. You know what I'm yeah. saying? Like those are real life situations that I think a lot of times, you know, it's hard to to get a person to to believe and understand. But I think conversations like this just make it that more tangible because we all come from that, right? Like we all have experienced yeah. that. And it's not like we're that far gone from that happening. Yeah. I want to just challenge your guests, like, or people, your listeners too, like, Tally, like, look at a, a, your last month's bank statement and just tally up how much money you spent on entertainment last month. I'm pretty sure you could use all of that or a portion of that and put it in some sort of investment opportunity. If you don't have a retirement account, that's a great place to start. But like, you can take a portion of that and put it into a savings account if you if you haven't don't have one or a retirement account um, or an investment account. And just do that every month. Take the whatever that portion is you decide and just allocate that to to invest in or saving. And I promise you, in a year, if you just put it in a savings account, even a high interest savings account, it's not great, but it's still liquid. So you know, you can you watch how much you'd have in a year. I saved a lot during COVID on purpose because I was like, I'm just I would just be spending money anyway. And it's crazy in two years how much I've been able to like save from like minimal savings, which I'm, it's crazy to say, but it's like, I just wasn't focused on that. I was focused on trying to do other stuff. Um, but it's crazy how much I've been able to save in just two years, just by being intentional about that, setting up automated payments, all the like mm-hmm. small practical things that we could talk about. But like, go tally up how much money you spent on just going out to eat last last month. Not I want to say all the entertainment, just going out to eat last month fast food or otherwise just tally it up and i'm pretty sure you can put a portion of that away we all kind of work for uh these financial services uh type companies or, or have clients that are in financial services what role do you think uh some of these companies in the private sector uh, should play um in you know sort of trying to achieve racial racial equity Put your money where your mouth is. <laughs> That's why I've said it on panels before. Like, I think it's great. We can all, and I've said this very candidly, I think we can all sit in the room and agree that things need to change, that equity mm-hmm. needs to happen and all these things. But nothing can, nothing moves if people aren't putting dollars behind it. Nothing, mm-hmm. absolutely nothing. Give, if you give me one thing, then I stand corrected, but nothing moves without money behind it. So I'm a big proponent of telling institutions or asking institutions to contribute. If you think there's an issue, whether it's financial literacy or health discrepancies or whatever the case may be, um, health disparities, excuse me, um, whatever that is that you're passionate about as a as a company, put the dollars behind it. Support a nonprofit that does it. Support a, a small black business or brown business that does it. Um, if there are people like one example, a small example for my company, we celebrated our 35th anniversary this year. And so I was very intentional about supporting either woman owned or local businesses for the vendors that we supported that week. 
And it's, it's something that we've continued to do throughout the rest of this year. But if, if we could support a small business, why would we not do that, right? Like, why would we not try to build those connections and engage? Um, we've helped, I've helped expand a program that's supporting uh, six local schools um, or five schools and one nonprofit, one, one of those being Secure Futures. But it's like, put your dollars where you where you think you're passionate about. If it's education, put your dollars there, support a school. Um, so with investment strategy, we can literally fund MPS. Like it, how much money flows through these institutions, you can mm-hmm. fund the 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 discrepancies in that case that exist in this in this city like in this city alone it's not it's not that hard to do I just think that people don't honestly people don't have the heart to do it or the people that do have the heart don't have the budget or don't have the power to like help move the needle that way um, and so but that is that is my that's my push that's my ask that is what I work towards every day in my seat like. Let's let's figure out ways that we can support. And thankfully, I have leadership team now in my company that's like just gung, as gung ho as I am about it. Um, so it's a lot easier that way. But these, yeah, the institutions here, there's too much money flowing through just Milwaukee alone that we we should be able to do a lot more um, for the communities that that are are lacking. And, and we're just not. That's real. That's fire. What do you what do you think our responsibility is as um and I'm not saying we all have the same or bring your same situation. That's not what I'm implying. As people that grew up in Milwaukee um, and have bettered their situations, what do you think like our responsibility is uh, to our community? Teach one, teach one, like literally. If there's anything that you learn that you can give back to somebody else who's listening, give it. I, I do that in my family structure. I have a lot of younger cousins. I have two younger brothers. I have nieces and nephews. I have cousins that are older that just never experienced life the way I am. Like, if I can give it, I'm going to, you know, and, and right now that's a lot of times it's more learning and all that stuff. I don't, I'm still on the, yeah, I heard one of you guys episodes about like people asking for money and all that, like those kind of things. So like trying to find the balance of like sewing into people versus like enabling bad behaviors. Um, but like, you know, I think all those things, but if nothing, if nothing else, give back by teaching somebody else what you've learned. Um, if you can directly mentor a student at a high school or, or get involved with a nonprofit, do that. Um, if there's if you can if you're good at sports and you can coach, go and, you know, do that for create an extracurricular program. We, we've lost a lot of funding for after school activities. If that's part of your passion, do that. Collaborate with another organization that's that's doing it like I did with Secure Futures. But I do think it really just comes down to like give like give what you know. Um, education, yeah, education is, is the start, but the application of it is, you know, that's the second half of that. But if you can't apply what you don't know. Um, I think Tone said that earlier too. Like, you don't know what you don't know. So help somebody know something. <laughs> you're not just saying that you're actually living it. Uh, you're, you're actually in the schools teaching kids financial literacy. And then I think you also recently launched uh, a scholarship, if I'm not mistaken. Mm-hmm. Uh, you talked to us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm so excited. That was like, I don't know, my whole life feels surreal when I look back at it sometimes. But that was probably one of the biggest, biggest things. Um, at least right now, my journey that I'm like, wow, I, I did it. Yeah, um, I launched a scholarship this year at, at Mesmer. Um, I want, I did want to do it there, and it's really just about um, giving to, like, giving to another student. I know what it's like to be trying to figure out your financial situation when you are preparing to go to college. I know that I didn't want student debt, um, and I love telling that part of my story that I graduated with my bachelor's degree debt free. 
And so my part of that is, again, put put your money where your mouth is. I, mm-hmm. I was able to, part of my savings goal was to be able to start with a scholarship program. So I personally funded that first scholarship. I'm hoping to expand it a little bit um, next year. But yeah, it's really just about giving back. I was I'm, something I wanted to do since I graduated from Mesmer. I said I would I would come back and I would do this. Um, and it really just like it kept coming back to me after I graduated from Fisk. I thought about trying to put some money away when I first moved to Chicago, but culture shock and lifestyle creep and all those things. And full um, market, so, full market. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly that too. So just trying to figure it out, but the timing was right. Um, I prepared for it. And um, I was able to do it. So uh, since a potential ner- or uh, aspiring nursing student uh, with the $1,000 scholarship to Marquette. So no. I don't think we really can appreciate how much that will mean to that kid, you know, because I, I can I remember how it was for me and just getting $500 just like, I mean, I cover yeah. like three, two books. So you know, which is yeah. wild, <laughs> but you know, I know it's, it's crazy. A thousand, and you think about like how much tuition costs and how much it will cost. I mean, it's 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 just really dope to see you giving back to some something like that. Thank you. We've got uh, a series of I'll call them rapid fire questions, uh, just to get to know you a little better. What's your favorite book? Well, I don't know if this is a favorite, but it's definitely one that keeps that I want to read again. So I'll just use this one. It's called Design Your Life. Um, it's basically about how you can, like they use case studies of architects and how they built products, but how you can use the same kind of infrastructure to, to design the life that you want. Advice that you would give to 14 year old Jade. Oh, she was so little. Um, don't let hardship discourage you. Let it motivate you. Uh, but yeah, I was just, I was very easily swayed um being younger and i think it was just the lack of confidence that goes back to that um so just like understanding that everything kind of works together right to for the bigger picture and i think if she 14 year old jade saw the person that i am today she'd be in disbelief (laughs) one word to describe your legacy cultivating i I thoroughly enjoyed this interview and i'm glad you know we did the the, the research we did just because it made the conversation uh, a bit easier and and one after doing all that I felt like I kind of knew like the service part for sure it, it, it is exemplified in everything that I've, I've looked at just like you're very passionate about it um, but I this is great just learning uh, about you today just getting your insight on finance because it's not many you know black women for sure that I know and finance and it was just a, it was a great conversation on my part now i'm sure larry you can just let the people know like where they can find you for sure um so on instagram it's jade i hendrix or follow the podcast at corporate creative pod um and if you're interested in connecting with me on linkedin it's jade i hendrix don't forget the i because people can't find me with that <laughs> i think i was wondering uh the murder mystery stuff so you're, you're like <laughs> You're like heavy into that. And I was like watching this, the Dahmer and stuff. And I was just like, I mean, it's not a mystery, right? But I was just like, how do you, I guess, how do you get like hyped up about that? Like what, what is your draw to murder mystery? Man, I, I really, I got to say this, I'm sorry. I need y'all research skills because this is tripping me out so hard. Like I'm really trying to be serious and I'm like, 
he took it back to 20 something in black. I'm like, wow. Okay, I'm sorry.